Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1306 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Labor Day Monday into Tuesday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast, making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is actually going to be part two with myself and Ben Ladner. So if you missed part one, it should be available right now. And my recommendation would be to go back to the beginning, listen to part one before part two. So this is part two you're about to listen to. Same topics, Atlanta Hawks, Eastern Conference stuff across the board in the NBA. Ben is very smart. And if you listen to part one, you already know that. But alas, here we are with part two. And without further delay, you'll hear the intro. And then we'll be back with myself and Ben Ladner in the conclusion of our conversation about the Hawks and the East. You are locked on Hawks. Your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I want to expand on the Collins thing, too, just because, you know, everyone's kind of talked about it ad nauseum, like he was on the block, et cetera. He's still on this team. And I think that he is one of the guys who could be impacted by Marie a little bit more than some others, because, you know, one of the things that I've chronicled a lot is that they've kind of asked Collins to take the smaller role. That's more of a spacing role on offense. That was always going to be the case with, with Capella, but uh, maybe even more so now with Murray, like there are lineups that they're going to have to play this year where Collins might be the second best shooter on the court. And that's not, ideal necessarily like he can shoot it but especially if Bogdanovich has any kind of injury recovery or more injuries etc like Collins is a better shooter than Murray right now Collins is probably a better shooter than Hunter in some ways obviously kind of a little bit more utility there but in terms of like just catch and shoot he's proven more than like you know Holiday's different kind of player Justin Holiday but you could certainly argue Collins is one of their better shooters which is kind of a weird spot to be in I mean beyond like the trade stuff what do you make of like his role because you know People have asked me this. I talked to Josh Lloyd about this from a fantasy perspective. Like, I think on one he's he's going to play more minutes because Gallo's going to be gone, and they're behind him. They don't have that guy who's like going to demand that time, like where the Gallo did. I know Jalen Johnson's a talented player, but he doesn't have that same kind of like Nate's going to play him thing that Gallinari did. So that there's that on the plus side for John, but also like he might even get less pick and roll reps, like which. I've always argued like that's his best skill still. Like he's a really well, well-rounded player, but he's an awesome finisher, awesome yeah. pick and roll player. I'm just wondering how it's going to look in your mind. Cause like, that's the guy we've all talked about him being on the block, but like his role might even get smaller somehow. I don't know. It's, it's weird to me. Yeah. I think what you're saying has some truth. Like it could be a more minutes, smaller role sort of thing. And his usage has decreased like each of the last three or four seasons too. So it's, yep his role can't get a lot smaller than it already is. And it shouldn't get smaller. Cause like, he's really good. Like he's already, yeah. he already has a role. that's probably too small for him. And yeah. I think that they probably know that, but that's like the trade-off of having Clint Capella, who they also love and who's really good. Is that like, he can't be the role guy. If Capella's on the court, it's just what it is. I mean, same thing with the Kongu, by the way, I like, was going to say, yeah, we haven't even mentioned it's him. a very similar thing. Like everyone wants more Kongu and I totally get why that is. I love a Kongu, but He's another guy that, yeah, there's some workout videos of him taking jump shots, but until he's like shooting real jumpers in a game, he's still a non-shooter in my mind. So like, I don't know. I take those workout videos at face value. Well, listen, uh, I mean, you know, as well as I do, like NBA centers, a lot of times, if you've been in a practice, I know you have been like these guys who can't shoot. I'm using giant quotes. If you listen to this podcast, like shoot really well in an empty gym. Like, and I think a con I've always thought he's going to be a jump shooter eventually, but he's got to prove it to me and everybody else. So like, I don't know. The whole thing with Collins is that they knew this when, it, when they, when they got, when they got Capella, but 
it's really one of the reasons why I think they've, that they've at least dangled him out there in the last couple of years and maybe why he was probably open to being dealt at some point because when you've been in rumors for this long, like I get it, is that they kind of know he's overqualified for his role. Like he's 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 too good to be in the small and the role that he's in on offense, but he's also like too valuable to just give away. <laughs> so they're in this spot yeah. where they just can't, they can't seem to pull the trigger. Yeah, I think... I don't know. My, my instinct is on this is always to be like, well, if if he could just be better defensively, then he could be a small ball five and boom, there you go. That's a pathway to more minutes, more of a role. But Anyeka Kongwu is, is the backup five. You want him to get minutes. He's good. You want him to play. And he's and going so to then, play a lot. So. Yeah. So like now, how many minutes are there for a small ball five for John Collins? And then he's just, he's back at the four. He's just playing with a Kongwu instead of Capella. So he's, it, also, he's also the only four. I mean, Again, yeah. I, I like Jalen Johnson, but like DeAndre Hunter at the four has not been a thing that they've been able to do with any effectiveness. I know, I know the theory behind that. He's a big physical guy, but he doesn't rebound and all that fun stuff. It's like Torian Prince all over again in some respects. So like, I mean, John Collins is there four, and it's like the gap between him at the four and anybody else on this roster at the four is the size of an ocean. Like they know yeah. that he is their only guy that is proven at the four right now. And like he's gonna to that, that's what kind of why I said the thing about minutes before is that he might honestly there's a scenario in my mind where he leads the team in minutes or maybe finishes number two to Trey. It's like I'm not saying it's gonna happen, but like if you're doing rotations and I'm I'm a I'm a nerd, so I've been like sitting now trying to figure out like when wh- what guys go where like archetypally. Yeah, and it's like I'm tempted to just play John Collins 35 minutes a game. Like yeah. And that has not happened in his career to this point. But like if you're looking at like how to maximize this roster it pretty much concludes with John Collins playing as much as possible <laughs> because he's by far their best option. I agree. And I think one of the great attributes of his is how versatile he is as a, as a play finisher. He can shoot. Yep. He can obviously go up and get a lob. He has good touch around the rim. He can even like, he started to put it on the deck and get to the basket a little bit. I mean, he can do a lot of things as a play finisher, but the flip side of that is that, he, like you said, he is best as a role man, and you want to create as much space for him to do that as possible. And it's not impossible to use him as a role man with Capella on the floor. You have Capella in the dunker spot or you know, setting another screen somewhere else on the floor. I mean, it is possible. It's just not as comfortable. It's it, You're not getting as clean a look at the basket. And so it's sort of – it's almost like his versatility is is sort of the thing that is keeping him from doing what he's best at because it's, it's sort so of like, true. well, John, <laughs> like so true. you can shoot. So like, we'll just use you as a shooter. But like, it's almost like if he, if he were a less proficient and, and less well-rounded player, basically a worse player, he would be used in a better way because then you don't have the option of just using him as the floor spacer. It's like, well, we have to use him as a role man. So then he's doing what he does best more often. But now it's sort of like, well, I mean, he can shoot we kind of need him to shoot. So these other guys who aren't as versatile can do what they're good at. So like we have kind of have to relegate him and push him to the background. It's a very uncomfortable situation. I, again, I, I like you said, I, I kind of understand why he would be I open could, to a trade. Well, yeah. And I, and I can do, I mean, I've done this enough. I, I, I can honestly do like a full hour show on the John Collins experience. I think you just got into it as well. Like he's so versatile in a way that if you don't pay attention, you don't realize it. Because, you know, and look, look, early in his career, he wasn't that guy. And I think that's kind of stuck to him in a way that like the Kevin Hurd defense thing stuck to him too. Like there's these like conceived notions that you just have a hard time getting out of. 
And nationally, you still hear that John Collins is like a liability on defense. And it's just not true. Like yeah. he's he's not Draymond Green, but like he's a pretty good defensive power forward. Like he can't play center and be your anchor. Yes, that is accurate in terms of like being a high level defender at center. But like that's not what he's asked to do the majority of the time. And like it's a great way you put it there. Like he's almost too well-rounded. Like if they if he was forcing them to run more pick and roll with him, his numbers would probably look better like they did two, three years ago when he was the only pick and roll option when he was playing with Alex Lynn and whoever else next to him. Capella's just too good at, at some other things too. But like Collins has proven to be good enough as a pick and pop guy to like they're very comfortable with him in that role. Like, or just spotting up. Like, and he's honestly also he's also a good shoulder he's gonna play hard like he's he doesn't have it in him to not play hard either like he yeah. could probably soak his way out of town if he wanted to he, he just won't do that because he's not wired that way so it's i love that about him me too i've always loved his motor like he's always playing hard to the point where you know it's been fourth quarters where i'm like terrified he's gonna get he's gonna get hurt because he's playing too hard or whatever but i don't know we could do a half hour in collins it's just he's still there and i think he's really really vital to them this year like he's always been important to them but especially with some uncertainty at the three that i want to ask you about and also just some general like depth uncertainty and wing uncertainty i mean yes Dejounte murray is technically kind of kind of playing the wing on this team as a starter but like he's also your backup point guard and you essentially turn kevin herter who i know people don't always love but like is a very competent like starting caliber wing player you replaced him with Justin Holiday, yes, but like you don't have a lot of wing depth on this roster either. And that kind of puts even more on Collins because, you know, maybe Jalen Johnson has to play some three this year. Maybe more Harkless has to play some three this year. And that's even more on, on Collins as the power forward. So I don't know. There's just a lot of emphasis on other guys. And I get why. It's like kind of a boring thing. Oh, John Collins is back. Okay. But like this is a different role for him because Gallo's not there. Like, and I know Gallo is polarizing too, but they paid Gallo 20 million a year. And that kind of took away a little bit from Collins. And now they, there's nobody behind him. Like, he's it. So, big focus on him. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you haven't tried the Built Bar Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor as well. It's delicious. That's right. Built has done it again. And that favorite is the Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs. They have a great, light, and chewy texture. They have real cookie dough chunks. And, of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate like all Built Bars are. All the joys of being cookie dough without the hassle of actually having to make it. Plus, it's uh, really healthy for you as well. Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs have 100 calories, and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein. What's also great about Built Bars is that all of the bars have collagen protein in them, which your body helps to absorb more efficiently. And they provide a ton of health benefits across the board. Eat something that tastes good and is also good for you. Go to built.com right now, snag a box for yourself or your family to be the perfect treat for you. And you're going to absolutely love the new flavor of cookie dough chunk puff. Whether you need a snack for your workout, a late night treat, or just to grab a quick bite, built this perfect protein bar and they taste better than a candy bar. I can definitely tell you that right now. Ditch the calories, ditch the fat and the sugar. Grab yourself a built bar in the process and go to built.com for the easiest way to get built bars. And when you get there, use a new promo code for this show. Keep take note of this. It is locked on 15 is the new promo code, 15% off on your order. One more time, that is promo code locked on 15, 15% off at built.com. Yeah. I mean, the wing thing is to move on to that. That's kind of a, I don't know. I mean, I think DeAndre Hunter's kind of in a similar situation where it's him and then it's kind of no. I mean, there there are technically options. There are more options than there are power forward. Like there are at least people who could theoretically play the wing, but none yeah. of them make you feel great. Like Justin Holiday, I like, Me too. I, I, I think he's been underrated the last few years just as a as like a catch and shoot guy who can, you know, get over a screen. But I think to me, he's much more of like a, 
a defensive two guard. He doesn't quite have the strength to really guard the three. Mo Harkless in his prime, I think, would be like a perfect option here. But as we know, Mo Harkless is not in his prime anymore. And so, well, and speaking of speaking of non shooters, Mo Harkless is uh, he, he may not be like quite on like the complete and utter never guard him level, but he's only one he's only one level above that. Like he's not ever quite, since like, he got that contract incentive where yeah. he had to shoot like thirty five percent and he got it. He's just been downhill since. He's then. not like Andre Robertson or anything like that, but like he's one level above that where like teams are not going to guard him. And I think yeah. that that makes it difficult. And you're right. I mean, I've always liked holiday too. And I've been, I like that. I like that part of that deal, like getting someone who you can trust holiday is a, at minimum, a rotation caliber wing. That's a, that's a nice player to have, but you're right. He's it's a little bit slight of frame. And like, if you're facing, let's say Jason Tatum, like holiday can't really handle that. I think that you might have to use more Harkless in that role. If Hunter is injured or foul trouble or whatever, Harkless might be your best option. I guess those kind of guys. And like, for me, you're hoping not to play Mo Harkless this year if you're the Hawks. But I think there's some scenarios where you get an injury or two or just like a, it's just a matchup or two where he, he's going to have to play. And that's before you get into Hunter as a sort of enigma kind of player so far. And also Bogdanovich is hurt right now. <laughs> like he's coming back from an injury and he's vital too. I mean, it feels like we're calling everybody vital and it really is kind of scary. And I've talked about this a lot, like the depth concerns, but you could certainly say that basically every one of their top seven guys, eight guys is extremely healthy and important. Like they, I mean, maybe you could argue that the centers, because there are two of them are a little, or maybe the other guys who are not quite as important, but even then it's Frank Kaminsky behind them. So uh, we'll see. Yeah. Not, not amazing. Um, And uh, you know, you talk about Jason Tatum. What about Jimmy Butler? Yeah. Another guy. Exactly. Giannis. I mean, they're like, there's just no one with, with any kind of heft at the three and like DeJounte Murray, like you said, I mean, he's, he can match up. Like you could pl- play him at the quote unquote three. If you're playing, uh, I guess a lot uh, of teams, not, not against those teams. So yeah, that's the thing. Like it's matchup yeah. based. I mean, obviously they, they played the heat in the playoffs last year. Murray can't guard Jimmy Butler. Uh, no. like, and you know, obviously, you know, these are, we're cherry picking here, but these are the teams you're, that you're competing with. Yeah. Um, even, even, even James Harden can, can DeJounte Murray defend James Harden? I don't, I don't really know. I don't think I mean, so. I think he's too strong. Yeah. Harden's so big. Um, maybe holiday could fool with James Harden. Just it's not quite as much size questions there, but like it does, it is, it kind of tells you in, in addition to the fact that they've invested so heavily in him, why I, every time I do a radio hit or a visit on a podcast, I'm always trying to just say how important Deandre Hunter is this year. And while also saying, look, I don't think people notice he wasn't very good last season but this is a guy who like they, he has to be good. I mean, if you're, if you're a Hawks fan that is picking the Hawks to be a top four or five team this year, and you're optimistic, that has to include DeAndre Hunter being the best he's ever been and also being healthy. Because if he's not, it's really hard to see the Hawks winning 49, 52, whatever you want to say games. If Hunter is either banged up or not very good, like he's that important to them. I think that's dead on. And I, I'll just add that. I think when he is healthy and when he is good, he is really good. I mean, defensively, yeah. I think he can be like, I just, I'll, I'll never be able to detach myself from, from his rookie season, watching him <laughs> defend James Harden in Atlanta, the way he did. Like that's, and, and that's one game. And like, you could point to Luka Doncic last year. I was going to say, the opener against the, Luka is the one everybody circles now. Like you yeah, and I, you and I are the sickos that saw about, that first game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's something about the, like the, the big physical, maybe not totally in shape uh ball dominant wing that he, he just matches up really well with them. 
But like I, I've just seen him do too good a job on too many really high level offensive players to to like it's like the reddish thing, you know, it's just, just like, I'll always, I'll, I can't quit Deandre Hunter as a defender. And like, you see him shoot and he has good form and sometimes the ball goes in and it looks really good. And he's had seasons or stretches at least where he shot 38, 40% from three. And like, sometimes he'll even shoot off the dribble and there's nothing about the way he plays that looks like he shouldn't be good, but then the results just aren't necessarily there all the time. And so like, I believe in Deandre Hunter, if he can be healthy, but you know, it, it's, it, it takes a, a good amount of belief. It's, it's not a sure thing. Like, yeah, you can just pencil this, in, this guy in for 32 minutes of high quality, small forward play. Like it, it's going to take some improvement. It's going to take some consistency that he hasn't shown to this point in his career. And I think any belief, like you said, any, any belief in that happening type takes like, takes a, a decent amount of gambling and, and a decent bet on him being, you know, what he promised to be coming out of the draft. Yeah, the good thing is, and I probably should say this even more often, is that he is he's been healthy all summer. That's a big thing. He had some lingering injuries coming out of last season. And uh, you know, a full offseason can do wonders. I've said that about a Kongwu this year. For the first time in his career, he actually has an offseason. Uh, and that's skill development time. That's the thing about Hunter is that we saw his handle like kind of just like get lost. Like he it was pretty yeah. jarringly bad last year at times. And I think there's a lot of that could be tied to like the wrist injury and other kinds of stuff like that. I think with a full year. Um, full offseason, I should say, to get himself in the best possible place to contribute. You know, fingers crossed on the injury stuff. I don't think he's injury prone. He's had a bunch of injuries, but I don't think I'm putting that label on him at this point in time. It's just that, um, you know, for better or worse, they're going to have to have him because he. they've kind of built this roster. Like, yes, they have Jalen Johnson, who's kind of a combo forward, but they they think more of as a four and maybe even a five than a three internally still. He could maybe play some three. AJ Griffin, um, I think can play the three eventually, but this is a rookie and you know, how my stance on rookies been, uh, it's basically, they're not going to be good probably yep. most of the time. Uh, so I think they might try Jalen. They might try AJ Griffin. Like, I think especially if Bogdanovich is banged up, they might just have to for the shooting, yeah. but like, you can't rely on that. So like, I mean, long story short, defense is rough. Too. That's what I was going to say. Like you're hoping that he can use his physicality a little bit more and maybe at the NBA level, he just dials in more because he knows he's going to have to stay on the floor by playing more defense. But yeah, I mean, his college tape was not good defensively. Um, plus he's like a, he's kind of a step slow for a wing. Like I think he's going to be long-term. This is not a edgy Griffin breakdown podcast, but I think long-term he might be more of a guy that like defends fours because he's so, mm-hmm. he's so big and physical that but he's also like not the most fleet of foot guy for a wing. So I think he might be a power forward defender long-term, but. We'll see. Maybe he's a guy you can eventually throw at some of those big wings as like another yeah. body, but we'll, not not now. I don't think. <laughs> All the more reason why Hunter's got to be that guy. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's the uh, he's the only guy in a lot of ways, and uh, I hope the best uh, for DeAndre. All right, before we uh, get out of here, Ben, one more break to hear from our sponsors. We'll come back with more and uh, Ben's thoughts on the East. We're getting there. Tears and predictions and things. Hold on time. All right, Ben. Let us finish up by talking about kind of where the Hawks stack up in the East. Um, Clearly, it's a little bit early for like final predictions. I know Nate made me do one on his podcast. I did one with Josh Lloyd. Um, and I'm a little bit higher than the over-under, so that hopefully people won't be too mad at me along the way here about the Hawks. But before we get to like our final Hawks thoughts, like how are your tiers sorting out in the East? Because like I feel like there's still like consensus, you know, top three, maybe four if you factor in Miami. But like I kind of personally have Miami and maybe a half tier below that. But then you throw in there's the total wild card of the Nets to yep. throw a wrinkle into everything. And now you have the Cavs, who I think will be bought into more now than they would have been, obviously, with Mitchell. Um, 
so that's that's six teams we already named. Then you get into the Raptors, who have some fans around the league, and the Hawks, and maybe even the Bulls. Like I, I saw ESPN had the Bulls ahead of the Hawks uh, in like like two weeks ago in their like early power rankings. I was like, wow, that's the one team I would not put ahead of the Hawks, like definitively ahead of the Hawks. But even then, I think there are really nine teams if you want to include Chicago. I personally wouldn't include Chicago, but if you want to, I get it. But there are nine teams, and uh, Ben, I'm not sure if you know this, only eight spots in the uh, East Coast playoffs. Well, 10 so. spots. Well, yeah, I guess, well, only eight spots that matter. I know, I know, only, the, yeah, I know exactly. the, the plan exists, um, but if the Hawks had lost in the play-in last year, they would have not, in my mind, that's not making the playoffs. That's oh, making no. the play-in. That is yes. not making the playoffs. So. Correct. That, that's that's the correct stance. History <laughs> will, will remember you well for that. There you go. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've only kind of just begun to sort out it's early. You know, the, the East hierarchy. I mean, clearly Milwaukee yeah. and Boston and Philly. Ah, yeah, that's the, here's the thing. It feels like every single person. I'm giving. I'm just going to stall. Give you more time to think about this. Every single person has Boston and Milwaukee in yes. their in their top tier, and then most people, I would say, that I've seen so far have Philly in there or at least close. And then it's like from there is where you start having some real decisions to make between Brooklyn's weirdness and now Cleveland, etc. But it feels like there's a kind of a definitive top two, and then Philly. It's like kind of a deferential thing where they won 51 games last year and then they got better in the off season. And now they have James Harden for a full season. So it's like, how do you not put them up there? But also it's Philly and they're one Joel Embiid away uh, injury away from not being that good. So it's, I don't know there. That's a weird one for me. I'm kind of factoring them in as like the clear number three. It's like, they're not in the yeah. top two, but they're not, they're not, they're not four. I don't know how you feel about it. No, that that's pretty much where I am too. I, you know, I really did like their off season a lot. Me like too. I loved Anthony Melton. I, I just I think they made a lot of really good additions that that make them like you don't have to worry now about does Matisse Thibel have to play 33 minutes in thank, this game? Is Furkan Korkmaz gonna have to play a huge role? You don't have to worry about that anymore because they have like real NBA players. PJ Tucker, obviously, you know, he's he's like the classic you don't have to worry about this guy guy, assuming he's like still himself, which you know, at, at age 30 eight whatever he is like he may not be himself anymore but you know if he's if he's what he was last year you slot him in and he can play 30 minutes a night you don't worry about it he fits into any lineup it's not even that he's so great at any one thing although he is a good defender and corner three-point shooter it's just that he's not taking anything off the table you don't have to worry about can we play him in any matchup um so anyway that's enough about pj tucker but (laughs) i like i like the sixers and I don't know if you heard, but uh, James Harden reportedly is has gotten in better shape this offseason. So, yeah, he's um, been at the same party with Trey. There's a couple of uh, paparazzi situations with him and Trey Young at the same party, which I'm not sure what that means. But here we are. I'm sure I'm sure they were just hitting the gym together. <laughs> Trey works hard. One, one thing I will say is that I, I don't worry about Trey ever not working hard, which is it's a yeah, nice feature true. to have your best player always yeah. be in shape. And Trey's always in shape, which is nice. He is. I, I will give him that. It was probably after one of those one of those Rico Hines pickup games that's been that might have been it making the rounds out in L.A. At any rate, I think Philly is ahead of the Hawks. However, you want to put them third, fourth, whatever. I I think you know they have Joel Embiid. He's at worst probably the fourth or fifth best player in the NBA. Um, that just gives you a pretty high floor. You assuming he doesn't get injured, which is not always a given with him. But the last few years, I think he's proven himself other than some freak like face injuries. I think he's proven fairly durable where he's going to get you through a season. You're not going to fall too far in the standings. 
Miami is the one that I kind of worry about because they lost Tucker. They're getting older. Lowry looked really bad in the playoffs last year. Very. I'm not a big Tyler Hero guy. I don't think he's like the savior that's going to come in and you know, make up <laughs> I, for all the I love I love player. Tyler Hero, as you well know. I love that's my guy. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm that's kidding. your big yeah. I yeah. uh I, I think I honestly might be the lowest person on Tyler Hero in the entire NBA. So <laughs> that's unfortunate. Uh, I I will say just right now, he's still a good basketball player. Even though even though I'm low on him, yeah. he's he's still a very good basketball player. Solid. So, I think I think I voted for him for six man of the year last year. And that's totally reasonable. Yeah. Uh, that's totally reasonable vote. He's uh, he's still good enough to do that. No, but no, I mean I I looked silly last year. I think you and I both talked about this at the time. I was low on Miami last year. That was just wrong. Like they, they ended up being the number one C, which is not, I thought they were going to be opposite. I thought, that, I thought that was a playoff team. That was yeah. not a regular season team. And they ended up being a good regular season team. They kind of floundered in the playoffs, but like, yeah, if there's one team that I can see not repeating last year from that top four, it's, it's gotta be Miami. I mean, the PJ thing is, is what it is. You got Jimmy's a year older. They didn't really get better anywhere else. I mean, they brought back Oladipo. I guess maybe that helps him if he's if he's like himself for a full season. That would really help them. But he's still a question mark to me. Like, I don't want to doubt Spolstra, who's just like really really good at his job. But like, right. that might be a forty-seven win team versus a four fifty-two win team, or whatever they were last year. Like, that's not a huge step back, but that might be like the seven seed this year. Yeah, and and they are that like you said, Spolstra. Like, they are the team that always does sort of exceed expectations and exceed their talent level and just. It doesn't matter how many guys get injured; they just keep winning games. And maybe there's a little bit of that magic still left. Um, and you know, like I guess the the two guys you could point to for them are Duncan Robinson if he has kind of a bounce back year, and then Bam Adebayo. But I, you know, we've been waiting for Bam to really take that leap into top fifteen to ten, ten to fifteen player range. We've been waiting for that for a couple of years now. I, you know, maybe it'll happen. Maybe there's still time, but. He kind of looks like at this point he kind of is what he is, which is a very good player. But again, like with the concerns on the rest of their roster, am I really saying, but they have Bam out of bio, so it's going to be fine. I, I don't think I'm all the way there yet. So th- they might be kind of in a tier with Philly in that three, four range. And then I, don't know, I think the Hawks, the Raptors, uh, maybe the Bulls you could put in this group, but um, the Cavs, like Hawks, Raptors, Cavs, I feel like are kind of a, a group of their own Brooklyn. I would probably put into that group just because we don't really know what they are. You have to account 20 to 30 missed games for Kyrie. Kevin Durant is a little bit of an injury risk at this point in his career. Ben Simmons has literally not played basketball at an NBA <laughs> level since he played against the Hawks in the playoffs. I mean, it's been that long. We just well, don't know. Well, what that, they went, are. that went well for him too. Ben. I'm it, not sure it, it did. That. Yeah. Went well. Uh, Joe Harris is coming off this foot injury that cost him the better part of last year, pretty much all of last year. Patty Mills did not look great. So it like, I don't know, unless you really love Royce O'Neal and just think he's going to completely transform their culture and, uh, and their on court competence. I don't think you can, I don't think you can feel good about any kind of floor for Brooklyn. <laughs> it's a very so, odd trade. It was a very odd trade for Royce O'Neal. Sorry. That's my windy impression. What's, for, what's going on in Utah? What's going on in Utah? Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of, I almost refuse to make any proclamation on the Brooklyn Nets just because of what you just laid out. Like if they, you know, if everything goes well for Brooklyn, they could be the one seed. Yeah. And if Kyrie just like disappears into the wilderness, which could happen at any moment, if KD rolls an ankle, by the way, to clarify, he, he literally could disappear. No, I mean, I, I'm not joking about that. Will, I mean, like the actual 
as wild as that sounds like a just... wildlife reserve well and you know and the whole thing is like look as soon as KD is on the roster again and it seems like he's going to be there for a little while if nothing else like he's so good that you can't pick the nets to finish ninth anymore like you can't you just can't do it but if he misses 30 games like the, the rest of this roster it's it's kind of better in some ways. Like they kind of sneakily, you know, the Harris thing is pretty big. I think like they missed him a lot last year. If he's anything close to where he was two years ago, that'd be hugely helpful. Simmons like shrug, but between having, you still have Patty Mills and Seth Curry. You have Joe Harris. You have Royce O'Neal, who's a competent wing. You have a year older, Nick Claxton, who's like a starting caliber center. Like they have some guys. It's just that if Katie's not there, it's a very ordinary, uninspiring, even with Kyrie, it's a very uninspiring basketball team. It's just that Katie's so good that you can't just be like, you know, who knows? So like, do they have their own tier? Like just by default in the middle? I don't even, I don't know how to, I don't know how to handle it. Just, yeah, I, I kind of, I feel like the five to seven range is a good compromise. Like they're either going to be much better than that or they're going to be much worse and maybe they're both yeah. for the first half they're much better second half they're much worse and it evens out at six <laughs> but like yeah. that's sort of the way i'm i'm reconciling where i think they have a bunch of upside but there's also this huge downside and so i guess i'll just average you know what i feel like their high and low end outcomes are and make them the seven seed i i don't i mean that's sort of right i think you yeah. i think you could pretty much pick i mean maybe not in any order but you talk about brooklyn Miami even I think you and I are probably a little bit lower on them than most but still like they're in this group Brooklyn Miami Cleveland Atlanta and Toronto like that five team group could finish in any order in my mind truly like and that you know I I think a lot of people have not had the Hawks in that group and I I think I would have them in that group maybe on the lower end coming into the season because there's there's some uncertainty with the depth and all that stuff but like I truly think that uh getting me to like go hard on the record for an order of those five teams is going to be hard. I, I don't know what I'm going to do with those five teams because there's so many variables. Like, yeah, Miami's probably the safest because we, we've just seen it. We saw it last year, but like Toronto's really good, but can they all play 39 minutes a game again? Like they all just play so much. They have no depth behind yeah. them. KD's got, you know, Brooklyn's got the KD thing. The Hawks have some new stuff. And then Cleveland's got this huge piece to integrate now too. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like, it's the top three and then it's those five and you can maybe try to mini tier those teams, but truly it's like throw those teams in a hat for me on some level. And then you get into like the bulls are kind of probably nine by themselves. And then you get into like the Knicks and the wizards. I don't know. Maybe the Pistons, if they just like have it all come together for them with Cade, I don't know. I, it's just kind yeah. of a, it's really jumbled in the middle is all I'll say. <laughs> no, I think so too. I, I think you feel safest about Miami just because you know, yeah. they're going to defend and maybe you could say the same about Cleveland. Cleveland to me this year could be a team that, I mean, maybe Mitchell makes them like they're just not even in this group because they're so good. Maybe they're closer to Philly. And Miami has the best coach too. I mean, Spo. I yes. mean, especially eighty-two games like that does matter. I, I, yeah. I'm actually someone who doesn't think coaching is quite as important as some do in the middle. But right. Spo is proven to be an elite coach, which is something you can just kind of bank on happening. Yeah. I think the question you ask yourself with when you're looking at a group like this is just who is least likely to lose to the Rockets on a random Thursday night. Yeah. And Miami probably is at the top of that list, followed by Cleveland and Toronto in some order. And then the Hawks probably fourth and then 
the Nets, anything could happen. So <laughs> I, I, like yeah. in, in that sense, I guess that would be my order. It'd be Miami, Cleveland, Toronto, uh, Atlanta, Brooklyn. But like, again, if, if Brooklyn decides, yeah, we're actually going to put forth a real effort and really buy into some defensive principle. What am I talking about? That's not going to happen. Yeah. I think, I think they're at the bottom of the group. <laughs> no, I don't know, man. It's so the idea of the Nets, like buying into team concepts and like, healthy yeah. habits and and team chemistry just seems but then you're right and but then implausible. I, I don't I, know then I, but then i counter with this is i'm not i'm not saying i i believe this is going to happen but they clearly have the highest upside of that group oh yeah it's not even close i mean with all due respect I, i've seen some some cleveland zealotry now that they have four all-stars i'm doing giant quotes there i don't believe that to be the case this year but like the nets if it all comes together have Kyrie Irving, who's still really good despite it being a crazy person. Kevin Durant, who's the best five players in the world, probably if he's right. Five, seven. I'm higher on KD than you. It's okay. Uh, ben yeah, Simmons. Yeah, a, ben Simmons used to be good. I mean, that's the thing. If Ben Simmons did, is good, yeah. like he used to be time. quite good. Yeah. Um, and then you have some quality role guys around them, like your Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, Seth Curry types. That's a that's a title contender. It just if 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 it's all working, I don't know. Who knows? Like they they're the one team in that group, and I I do mean this. They're the one team in that five, and that includes Miami in my mind that could actually win the title. I don't I don't think Miami can win the title. I don't believe that. Maybe maybe if they made a trade, they could. Yeah. But in terms of like right now today with this roster, I don't buy it. I don't think Atlanta can either with this roster. I don't think the Cleveland can with with their current roster. Maybe Cleveland can in two years with this roster if Evan Mobley becomes as we talked about thirty minutes ago. If Evan Mobley becomes a dude maybe they could win it but he's not going to be there this year i wouldn't say um so yeah I, I don't know it's really kind of a mess we're still early but i think we're kind of aligned that it's like a top two and a half and then <laughs> kind of a giant mix in the middle so the hawks are somewhere in there folks i don't know where. yeah yeah like like uh play in maybe just above the play in range With, i'm gonna, I'm gonna I hold mean, you to I this say high <laughs> like every year there's some team that we think oh they're guaranteed top four home court advantage team that either gets injured or they disappoint or whatever it is last year's Brooklyn Nets. Exactly. And, and like the Hawks could be the team that takes advantage of that. I think they're as well positioned as almost anyone in that, that group we just talked about to sort of sneak in and and take advantage of a a Joel Embiid injury, God forbid, or, you know, if, if uh, Boston somehow disappoints, I I don't know, but if something happens with that top four, you know, Atlanta's right there. Like they're, they're in that next group. And I think that's kind of, that that's really like all you can do at this point is, is that's kind of the best you can hope for. I will say just for the record, I'm pretty high on Toronto coming into this year. The minutes thing, like you said, is a bit of an issue. The depth is an issue, but um, I'm, I'm drinking the Toronto Kool-Aid coming in. I think Scotty Barnes is going to be really good. Let me just Siakam's say this. going to have uh, a good year. You would, you would drink the Toronto Kool-Aid. That makes a lot of sense knowing you as I do. Uh, I, I think that if things go well for them, I could see it. Uh, my fear is that, I just can't see a team that has six players. Like they just keep yeah, playing these guys hard. so many minutes. Maybe it'll work again. I don't know. I I feel like it felt like last year they kind of got the most out of that team to win 48 games. And yet maybe they have they do have Barnes to give them a little bit more juice. Like maybe he takes another leap. I've always been a little lower on him, but he looked awesome last year. So no, no complaints there. Uh I just I have a hard time seeing them being able to just ride those guys as much as they did, but maybe they can. And that's why they're in that same, they're in that same group for a reason. Like they're, I think regular season wise, if those guys are healthy, they, they're also a matchup problem for a lot of teams. Yep. Like if you see them on a Tuesday night and you're not ready for them, they're going to blow you out. 
because like they're just so weird right I mean, that's just, what i'm saying it's yeah they're hard they're hard to, they're hard to play against um especially if you're like if you're like a big plotting team and suddenly you're playing the raptors they're just going to run you off the court with their speed yep. um even like precious achua who i don't love is a really like havoc creating defender like he's a really good defensive player and if he's your center like you could just like switch everything and they're just a weird team i, I kind of like them too more than some I, I, pr- I think probably less than you but still more than some yeah. like I don't know. They're interesting too, and I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to hold you to this. I, I'll tell you now. Our uh, our friends at Bell Line have the Hawks at, at, at their over under at 46 wins. Does that sound high or low to you? First instinct, that seems a little high, but I don't know. Five get two and a half games above 500. That's not. That's reasonable. I think that's reasonable. You can find Ben at B at B ladder underscore to yeah. uh, yell at him. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I have, I, I'm going to have the, see it. I'm going to have the, I know you ever check. I'm going to have the other on the over on that, but I, I also understand it. Like it's kind of the, in fact, I'm looking at this now in real time. You'll appreciate this, Ben, as you're not, I know you're not a, the biggest Vegas guy in the world, but um, Atlanta, Cleveland and Toronto have their over-unders are all within a win of each other. Toronto right now is 45 and a half. The Hawks are 46 and the Cavs are 46 and a half, which tells you exactly what we've, what we've just been saying. Yeah, that feels right are, to me. Those teams are all kind of the same in the minds of Vegas. And, you know, Brooklyn's higher than that because of I think they just know that they'll get buried if they don't put a number super high on them because they have KD. Uh, and Miami's 50. I'll say this now. I, I'll, I'm i going to do uh, over-unders with my friend Robbie Calland, who you know well. Um, I'm going to have the under on Miami. I can almost tell you that right now. Yes. Well, and I think picking under 46 is more about just the quality of the rest of the East than it is about the quality of the Hawks. Cause if, I mean, if we're, if we're saying like Milwaukee and Boston are both going to be around 60 ball, you know, give or take two or three games, Philly is going to be mid fifties. I think it is fair to say, um, you know, that only leaves and, and if we think these all these five teams are as jumbled as we just said, there's really only so many wins to go around in a season. And so it's it, like if the Hawks were significantly better than 46 wins, they would be in a different tier and they would just be kind of not be in this conversation. So I think it's just more about I don't think anyone in that group is going to win a ton of games just because Boston's going to win a ton of games. Milwaukee's going to win a ton of games. Philly's probably going to win a bunch of games. And then, you know, maybe Brooklyn kind of surges in there, but like that group is so jumble. It's, it's, it's just like kind of a, a, everyone's kind of on the same level to me. Yeah. It's the hardest part about this is that the East we're all, especially if you're following the league for a long time, we're almost conditioned to be like skeptical of the East and the East is loaded now. It just is yeah. like objectively loaded. And like the way I would put it is that the Hawks could be in my mind, the Hawks could be as good or better as they were two years ago the team that made the conference finals this year and be the six seed. Yeah. That could easily happen. I know. And number one, that Hawks team was the, was the five seed two years ago and they got hot. But I think just objective, like team quality wise, like if this same exact Hawks team was in the East four years ago, they'd have a 49 one over under 49 and a half one over. It's, it's really three or four wins different than it, than it was three, four, five years ago in the Eastern conference. It really is loaded. Like when's the last time, that we come on the podcast with some confidence about eight teams in the East, eight teams. Yeah. And, that, and that doesn't even include Chicago who people, people like, like I, I'm lower on them, 
But if you throw them in there, that could be nine teams where people are like very convinced they're going to be at least pretty good. That's that's absolutely loaded. Like that doesn't that's not the way it's happened for like most of my life. Like the East has not yeah. been very good like that. It's just now it is. Yeah, this is not the, uh, the the 2010 to 2019 LeBron James Eastern Conference, which is not a shout out LeBron, but it's just kind of well, a, I mean, the, the reality to, of to what bring the East it home, was at that time. To bring it home to Atlanta, like the Hawks were basically regularly a three to six seed in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. <laughs> while we while everyone knew they weren't actually a title threat, but like they were they they won between 47 and like 40, you know, 53 games for like six straight years in the late late the, the late aughts in the early 2010s and like that was just like a team that no one was threatened by at all. Like they were pretty good, but this year that team would not be on the radar. Like it's yeah. it's an interesting um confluence because Look, I know it's not satisfying to Hawks fans. Like I, every time a move happened to bring this whole podcast full circle, the combination of Kevin Durant staying in the East and the Cavs trading for Donovan Mitchell while giving up very little in present day value for him. That's an awful combination for Hawks fans. Like you should not be happy about that. If you're a Hawks fan, it just makes your life more difficult because Toronto didn't get any worse. Like Miami might've gotten a little bit worse. They're still really good. Philly got better. We agree on that. Boston's bringing everybody back. Plus more Milwaukee still got Giannis. Like, it's tough sledding. It just, I mean, the Hawks are going to be good. I actually believe the Hawks are going to be good. I'm higher on the Hawks than most people are, but it doesn't mean the sledding is not difficult because it really is. Yeah. I mean, it's like this, this is just sort of an overall reality. I think of where we are right now, the league is just probably deeper in talent than it's ever been. Like the fact that Trey young is not a consensus top 10 player is kind of crazy. I mean, it kind of says it all. You're right. I mean, the guy, the guy led the like league. A... The guy led the league in points and assists total last year, and it's like mostly like going to be like we're almost a top 100 season. Ben, I'm sure you guys try to get ahead of that with your recent podcast top 30 ranking, but like oh, yeah. he's going to be like 15 on these lists. And yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. usually a guy with his profile would be higher than that. I mean, what he's doing, what he's done the last, I guess, two years, is not too far off from what James Harden was doing at his peak from a team offensive standpoint, just in terms of being a one man offense that you can give the ball to and you have a one eighteen or higher offensive rating with plus him. On the floor, like, run. Plus, plus you can at least say, if you care about playoff success, you could look yourself in the eye and say, this guy was the best player on the conference finals team. Now, yeah. you, may, you may not believe that to be like the true, like outcome of how good they were that year, but he was the best player on a final four team 18 months ago, right. less than that. And he's, I mean, he's one of the probably four or five best offensive players in the league right now. Yep. And at his peak, at, at his, yeah, at his peak, James Harden was a consensus top five player. Yes. And, and Trey Young, who I think is worse than Harden was at his peak slightly. Also but, defensively, Trey's probably, Trey's, yeah, Trey's even worse because he's so, because he's so much yeah, smaller. Yeah. Like Harden, Harden had the clips that we all remember about. I mean, he, and by the way, he was very bad, yes. but Harden, Harden, just by nature of being 230 pounds right, right. like is not as bad as Trey defensively. So yeah. there's, but like, there's not too, but you're right. I, I totally the point agree. being, yeah, Tr- Trey is like not even close to top five territory. I don't think any rational person would make that argument, but like just on, on, on how good he is as a player, you kind of watch me like, how can this guy not be a consensus top 10 player? He's so good. And then you watch the rest of the league. You're like, Oh yeah, that's why, because LeBron and Giannis and Steph and Jokic and Durant and all these guys, Luca exist, you know, and it's just there's so much talent in the league right now, but it really does make it difficult for like teams who fan bases of teams who are good to like it. It's it's hard to reconcile like this team is really good with 
so are all these other teams. And so maybe our team is, is not going to be better than the sixth seed. It's just, it's sort of a, just a, a weird thing to wrap your head around. Um, given like, like you said, the, the Hawks sort of have the fundamentals of a very good team and they might miss the playoffs. Man. Uh, yeah. It's the fact that that's possible is, is jarring, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there is always a, there's a scenario where that could happen and uh, that'd be a really, really overqualified team to be doing that. All right, Ben, I can't take up too much of your time on this Labor Day. I appreciate you recording on this holiday with me. Uh, anything you'd like to plug? I know we talked about Read and React. That's an awesome podcast. You should definitely plug that. But uh, please feel free to share everything you would like. You're still writing about basketball, although not the Hawks every single day anymore. But uh, share anything you want. We're here. Yeah, Read and React, like you said, um, just sort of an in-depth NBA podcast. If people are into that sort of thing, we cover the whole league in um, about as much detail as you and I have gone into the Hawks in the East today. So if if people want more of that sort of thing. Uh, read and react. It's on every podcast player. You can find it. Uh, my aforementioned friend, uh, John Sauber and I host that. Um, yeah. Like you said, writing, I, I've taken a bit of a hiatus from writing for the summer, just during the off season. Cause it's been a busy summer, but I'll be back up and running with that as the season approaches. And of course, during the season as well. Um, so follow me there. Most of that is on my Twitter feed. Um, that's like the easiest place for all of that to just, you can, it's all consolidated. You can just find it there. Um, so yeah, other than that, I don't really have any social media channels or uh, products or Ben Ben really tweets. Ben really tweets, but uh, you, you can certainly find his links to things that he has written and talked about on his Twitter feed. So that's a good place to do that. Um, at B Ladner underscore, is that correct, Ben? I that think is that's true. Okay, good. Well, check that out for for sure, everybody. Uh, I will get Ben hopefully to come back on in the near future. But this is a fun conversation as always. And thank you, sir. I, I appreciate that. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast across platforms, uh, wherever you like to uh, listen to or watch podcasts, and also check out Ben's work across the board. I recommend that at the highest level. We'll see you all next time.